0: Thank you, Katie. Good morning to everyone here this morning. Hope you're doing well. If I have not met you yet, my name is Jay, one of the pastors here at Highland Park Press. And for all of you joining us online, we're so grateful that you have joined us today. Last week, we started a brand new series, a teaching on prayer. And prayer is essentially our conversation, our communication with God. And they say that Every good relationship is based on communication. And I think that's true in our relationship with God. Because the more we converse with God, the more we recognize and hear the voice of our Heavenly Father. So as we, as we talk about prayer, this concept of prayer, I thought we would begin with a trivia question. It's not a question, it's more of a trivia. When the telephone was first invented... We assumed that, um, that we would respond a phone call. By the way, it was Alexander Graham Bell when he invented We assumed that we would answer the phone by saying, hello, right? Hello. That was not always the case. For Bell, he wanted people to respond by saying, ahoy, ahoy. And people thought it was too nautical or oceanic. So it was a year later when Thomas Edison came up with the phrase, hello, Hello. And, and now, as Americans, we think that uh, the people in other countries, when they answer the phone, that they answer the phone call by saying hello. And that is not true at all. People have different responses to different calls. Like, for example, I'm, I'm Korean, and in Korea, we would answer the phone call by saying yes. It's an elongated yes, like yes. Then you have uh, the, the, the Italian; they'll say ready, ready, pronto. Uh, Spanish speakers, what do they say? They say, "hablé." you speak, right? You speak. The Portuguese will say, I am here. And Germans will answer the phone by saying, they're giving their last name. So if Brian Dunnegan, if he were a German, he would say, Dunnigan, Dunnegan, right? Now, Gen Z, they won't even pick up the phone at all. (laughs) There is actually a research done saying that 75% of the people under the age of 26 will not answer phone. They asked the reason why. Well, how come you're not answering your phone? And the response was because it just takes too long to have a conversation. We'd rather text. Now, just as there are different ways to answer a phone call, there are also different ways for, uh, for us to answer a call from God. And in a moment, I'm going to give you different examples of how people in the Bible have answered God's call. But before I do that, let me go and define what I mean by calling Because that's a theological word that we'd like to throw out. So here's a simple definition that you see. A calling is a process by which God invites people to join in on God's mission to bless others. So when I say call of God, I'm talking about how God prompts, how God motivates, how God leads, how God speaks for the people of God to do something or to say something or to take action for the sake of the blessing and the flourishing of this world. And there's a difference between a, a general calling versus a specific calling. Like all Christians, all followers of Jesus, all of us have what's known as a general calling. Like all of us are called to love God and to love others. And as we go, make disciples. So, so loving other people, that's, the, that's a minimum standard. That's the basic foundation of Christianity. So we shouldn't pat ourselves on the back when we love people. That's just the basics. However, at the same time, each one of us, we have a very specific calling based on the seasons of life like for some of us some of you here you're called right now to take care of your toddlers some of you are called to uh, to minister to your aging parents some of you are called to to be a pediatric nurse civil engineer to be a teacher right now my part of my calling is to be a dad of four teenagers it's very exhausting right so so we all of us have this calling so let me share uh, different examples in the Bible, how people have responded to God's call. So there's a guy named Jonah. Many of you know the story. Um, this is a guy who was swallowed up by a big fish. When God, God called him, how did he respond? Here I am. I am not going. Right? That was his response. God says, okay, Jonah, I want you to go to the, go to the people of Nineveh, ensure the, the love of God. He says, No way. I'm going the opposite direction. I don't want anything to do with these people. They're mean. They're bullies. Like if if, if Jonah had a cell phone, he would have ghosted God's call saying, no, I don't want anything to do with with these people. Then you have the call of Moses. How did he respond? Here I am. Send someone else, right? So God appears, literally appears in the form of a burning bush. And and, and Moses has this incredible encounter with God himself. and, And Moses says, I... It's not me. I'm not eloquent enough. Can you send someone else? Send my brother Aaron. And he says in Exodus 4.13, My Lord, please send someone else. And there's there's Isaiah. And that's where we're going to land today. When God calls him, he says, Here I am. Send me. Use me. Isaiah 6.8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. And, and my prayer for this morning together as church family is that before we leave this room, that we can make an attempt to say that prayer together, saying, Lord, will you use me? We call this a prayer of avail- availability or prayer of surrender. When we simply say, Lord, will you give me the eyes to see uh, you and the hurting world differently? Will you allow me to to serve and care for others? Lord, here I am, use me. And then the question that we're raising this morning morning is, how can we get to that point in life where we can freely have this kind of a conversation with God, where our prayer life daily is, Lord, will you just use me exactly where I am? And what I'm going to do is, I'm going to point out a couple of things from today's passage where it teaches us how that the mission of God became the central burning passion for prophet Isaiah. So follow along with me, Isaiah chapter 6. I'm going to read the first four verses first. Because the first thing we see is, all of us, we need to have an encounter with a living God. It goes like this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting up on the throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the, stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with a two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Here's what I want you to see. Isaiah has this incredible worship experience with God, and he has a vision of God, and God is on his throne, and what does he see? He sees these angelic creatures called seraphims. We don't exactly know what they look like, but we know they had six wings. We don't know exactly how many of them were there, but what we do know is that there are hosts of angels. Imagine hundreds perhaps even thousands of these angelic creatures, and they're shouting, holy, 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 in verse 3. And holy means to be set apart, like there's no one like God. They're saying God is infinite. God is unchanging. God is immeasurable. God is incomprehensible. And Isaiah sees this God who is so unlimited in power that God cannot be defined by time or space and sees God. And here's what I believe about prayer. That our prayer life is directly directly proportional to our view of God and who our God is. And I love how I love how A. W. Tozer said this about our, our view of God. He writes, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Sit on that for a moment. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. In other words, our lives are shaped and formed by our view of God. And what did Isaiah see? Isaiah sees, he saw the fullness of God in this uh, heavenly vision of of God's throne. And, And look at how many times the word filled is appeared in today's passage. The train of God's robe filled the temple. God's glory, his presence filled the whole room the whole earth was filled with his glory. The house was filled with smoke. And I think the idea here, as, as the writer is writing this passage, is to remind us when, when, when we experience the fullness of God, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, when there's a sense of the presence of God among us, there's nothing else that can fill us. You know what I'm saying? like, I think oftentimes as humans, we, we, we live our lives trying to fill our unmet needs by, by grabbing onto things, right? Like we want boyfriends and girlfriends and a certain title in our jobs, and we want promotions, and we want to know uh, our future. And, and what we recognize is that only God can truly fill us. Only God can fill us. And, and when, we, when we become kind of consumeristic about Christian life, And we say, me, 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 and more, 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 and my, my, my. We just become like weighed down with this burden and heaviness. And we need this lighter living because when we're weighed down, it's hard to be available to God for God's service. And what we forget is that the empty places in our hearts were created to be filled by God alone. And God said, you shall have no other gods before me. So being in the presence of God encountering God for who he is. That's the first thing that we see with Isaiah as his, his prayer life is being developed. And the second thing that we notice in today's passage is how um, God, uh, Isaiah recognizes his own sinfulness. Check this out. When, when Isaiah sees the majesty of God, he sees how rebellious he is. He says in verse five, he's actually crying out. He's crying out. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. So he's saying, I, I am ruined. Another version says, I am undone. His, when he sees the holiness of God, he sees his, Isaiah sees his own sinfulness. He realized how separated he is from God. And the reason why sin is such a complex thing where it really messes us up is because it becomes a huge stumbling block between us and God because sin creates God complex in all of us where we actually think that we have control of our lives because the human desire, because of our fallenness and brokenness, is that we want to have influence over Everything. And that's why we need to have this awareness of how sinful we are, how broken we are, and separated from the Lord. Because we need God to to intervene uh, our separation. So notice how God responds to Isaiah in verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips." Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. So what we see here in this passage is God showing his mercy by taking a gift from the altar. Altar was a place of sacrifice. What we see here is a symbolic picture of God intervening. God is one initiating and putting the sense of freedom away from guilt and sin from Isaiah. We call this atonement. The blood of Jesus that that, that frees us because of his sacrifice. And God said to Isaiah, yes, you're sinful, but I will cleanse you. I will take away your sins, take away your guilt, and make you pure. And and, and God responds with this incredible, amazing grace. And let let me tell you why I think this is a picture of God's amazing grace. As I said earlier, Isaiah is having this vision. And what does he see? He sees... All these angels, they're praising holy, holy, holy. And what do we know about angels? They're powerful. Psalm 103 says they're more powerful than human beings. And they're very intelligent and wise, according to 2 Samuel. But God does not choose these angels, these seraphims, to send them out on God's divine mission, right? Although they're powerful and wise and intelligent beings, but God wants people like Isaiah, people like you and me, people who are deeply flawed and imperfect and broken, to, to go out to be God's messengers in this world. And this is just amazing, amazing picture, picture of God's grace. God, God wants to use us. And when we understand this picture of God's grace, it transform us, transforms us inside out. And, and what happens, I believe, is that um, our understanding of prayer goes away from being reluctant or uh, without of obligation or duty and responsibility to with the attitude of wow god you want i can pray to you i can converse with you and you want to use me whoa we have this understanding of god's grace in a brand new way that you want to use me to serve your people and that's what we hear in verse eight once again And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. And notice, check this out. Notice that Isaiah does not say, where am I going, Lord? Or what is my uh, bonus package? What is my retirement like? Uh, What school district where my kids will be at? But here I am, Lord. Will you just use me? Isaiah is not negotiating. God calls, and Isaiah responds. Here I am, and use me. Now, here's, here's what I believe about this, this prayer. Here's what I know from my per- personal experience. The reason why I think uh, we have a hard time praying this prayer of availability is because in the back of our minds, there's, we get a little scared We're a little afraid to pray this prayer of availability because we think that God may actually take us to uncomfortable places. I remember in my early 20s, I was thinking, okay, if I pray this prayer, well, God asked me to sell my townhome. I had a townhome in my early 20s. Well, God asked me to quit my job. I was working as a management consultant and go to a foreign land far, far away with, you know, just taking cold showers only. Is God asking me to be a missionary? And again, I don't have any data points, but I can only speak from my personal experience. I think we're afraid to pray this prayer because of the what-if scenario. And by the way, it's very possible that God may send you to become a missionary to the countries far far away in asia in africa i have friends who are overseas right now in most challenging places uh, sharing about the hope of christ i'm so grateful but what i know about our god is that most likely god is going to call you to be plenty exactly where you are to share love of jesus at your work at your school places in places where you congregate, places where you go to have for half coffee and eat, because those places are just as holy to God. And God is asking, God is inviting us to be faithful in, in such a small ways wherever we are, because when we are small to the little things in this world that God has entrusted to us, God's going to give us bigger things and when i say bigger things please don't think greater things or more beautiful things it's not it's not that it's about how, how god will give us influence to serve him to to heal this broken land that god has placed us that's how god operates and who knows who knows that god might when you pray that prayer availability that God will entrust you to, to elevate you to greater things to, for you to serve in, in our children's ministry in the nursery area because I believe that serving in uh, kids' ministry is like going to a foreign land and taking a cold shower. <laughs> Last uh, Sunday, I was walking around our church campus. I do that time to time. And, and I peek into one of our kids' classrooms and I see one of our elders, Brett Krause. He's the guy in the very back wearing blue volunteer t-shirt and here he is just serving quietly and by the way parents uh, the ratio of kids to adult is kind of skewed in this photo there's another adult in the corner of the room so it's rest assured it's 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 okay when you begin to pray yes to Jesus here I am you just never know what kinds of opportunities God will give you last year I was talking to a friend of mine a member of our church and we were kind of bemoaning and kind of discouraged about how our kids are being pulled away on Sunday mornings because of youth sports. And he was saying, Jay, I I sense this tension. Um, And the tension is that uh, their coaches and all these leagues were having to play on Sunday mornings. And I said, I get it. I get the tension. He was looking for spiritual advice. And I was trying to come up with something very spiritual to say. I don't know exactly what I said. But by the way, when I was single, didn't have any kids, I was that guy who would look at all the young families and go, I cannot believe these young families would take their kids out of church on Sunday mornings to play sports and go on sporting tournaments and they're heathens, they're they're not good Christians. I was that guy until I started having our own kids and they're going out and playing sports. And I realized this complexity in how we become faithful witness of God wherever we're planted. And a year later, he sends me this photo and Tim says, Tim Roberts says, Jay, uh, right before our baseball tournament, we're meeting at Waterburger, and I decide to invite some of his teammates, his son's teammates and coaches and parents for this Bible study. He just said, here I am, use me. You just never know where you're planted to share God's love. You know, there's another person I'd like to introduce to you. I have shared this story with some of you in the past, it's the story of Henrietta Mears. You may not recognize her name, but I, I'll, I'll guarantee you that you have been influenced by her. Never met her because she died in the 1960s, one of my spiritual heroes. She served so faithfully in Hollywood, California, working as a, first a, a layperson, um, but late, eventually became a Christian educator at First Presbyterian Church Hollywood. She had passion for young people, especially uh, college-aged and young adults. At one point in her personal ministry, she had, check this out, the largest Sunday school in the world. Thousands of college students she would gather, but her passion was doing ministry one-on-one, discipling small groups, developing leaders. She did this so faithfully for so many years. Um, Let me share some names of people that were part of her college ministry. You may recognize some of these names first. Richard Halverson, who went on to serve as a U.S. Senate chaplain for 15 years and became chairman of World Vision for 20 years. By the way, raise your hand if you have been impacted by or you know of people who have been part of Young Life. Raise your hand if I could see some hands. Great, a lot of you, hands down. Jane Rayburn, the founder of Young Life, was part of her uh, college Bible study which is represented in 324 different cities around the world. Do you recognize the name Bill and Ed Bright, the co-founders of Campus Crusade for Christ, also known as Crew? Well, they too were part of her college ministry, impacting millions of people around the world. And there was this struggling actor who wanted to be an actor. Um, You know his name, Ronald Reagan. Who became the 40th president of the u.s was also part of her college ministry henrietta simply said yes to jesus here i am she never married she never married she never had children of her own but we can say that she had abundant spiritual children speaking of children now as i was thinking about today's message it just i was just reminiscing about uh, the earlier days of my life when on lazy a hot Saturday afternoons, I would invite the kids to wash cars together. And you know, our, when our kids were little, they were really excited about washing cars in our driveway and they would put on their swimsuits and fill the bucket with soapy water and sponge and they would just kind of go at it for about 10 minutes, right? They would get really excited for 10 minutes and little by little, they would get distracted and they would go off chasing squirrels or going back inside to watch SpongeBob or Arthur or something like that. And uh, so here I am by myself and the car is, is probably messier than as it began. And if you ever, ever invited children to do house chores, you know how they're not so helpful. However, why did I do that? Why do you do that? It's because as parents, we find incredible delight when they join us, and when, when they're part of our presence, and we have this incredible joy as, as parents, because it's not about efficiency, it's not about productivity. So when we think about our Heavenly Father, who invites us to participate in His divine mission, yes, we get distracted from our divine assignments, yes, we will walk away, but our God is saying, man, I love you so much come join me. I delight in your presence. This is who our God is. And that's why we're inviting you to increase our understanding of our prayer because it's assembly, a conversation. In a moment, I'm going to invite Callum up as he guides us into a time of of community prayer here. But before we do that, I was wondering if we could pray this one sentence prayer that was prayed by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., as he embraced his personal ministry, as he was about to launch into his ministry. So if you're able, will you go ahead and stand right now, wherever you are, just stand. And let's pray this prayer together that you're seeing in front of you. Will you join me? Use me, God. Show me how to take who I am, who I wanna be, and what I can do, and use it for a purpose greater than myself. Amen.